Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you for your gifts to our work. Um, usually our ministry tries to raise, we have about 80 full-time staff and we try to raise uh, their salaries and expenses from within the country. But these last few months we've been having a very tough time with that. So this will go towards that. We have had a bit of a deficit and so, that, so thank you very much for that. Um, last night I was very inspired by both the speakers. Um, and um, as I was praying, uh, as we were praying in the, my host's home with Tom and uh, Brenda, uh, I, I just felt, you know, like praying that, uh, you know, this is, uh, the island is uh, perhaps the, the least affected by the secularism that has hit Europe. And... Um, um, and there are people who are of conservative uh, beliefs. And conservative beliefs can be a huge problem because they could cause people not to think differently to the way things have gone. But it also can be a huge opportunity because people are open to the scriptures. And God can, God's spirit can come and ignite his word so that Revival could come. And I was praying that just like some years ago, uh, there was a book that was written, we found out yesterday, the, how Ireland saved the world. Uh, that there may be a repeat of that. As the people are still open to God's truth, that within the church there might be people who opened to God's truth live a radical life of obedience to God and impact their nation and through their nation go to the ends of the world. Uh, and I think one of the important things for us there is for us to remember that our mission is also to go into society and to be God's people in society. It is when people live this life and the nation sees the glory of Jesus through the actions of his followers. That is when um, uh, re revival can come. The gospel can have a national impact. And so all Christians are involved in, in this. And um, there's a nice passage in, um, in, in, in Acts of Paul's voyage to Rome and shipwreck, which tells us how Christians can take leadership in secular settings. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. How we can, um, you know, take this lead. Uh, so if you turn to, it's a long passage, so I'm not going to read the passage. Uh, verse 20, chapter 27 and beginning at verse 1. Uh, when the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman uh, officer named Julius, the captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was uh, Adrimitium uh, on the west coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to take several stops at, port, uh, at ports along the coast of the province. So they set sail. And then, in verse 3, we are told, the next day we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so that they could provide for his needs. Obviously, Paul had developed a friendship with Julius, uh, the, the person in charge. And uh, later, again, you see that Paul had developed a friendship uh, with, uh, the, uh, with the captain of the ship, uh, or, or, or with, uh, with an official in the ship later on. So, so this is one of the keys, I think, as we, um, as we go into the world, to develop friendship 
with secular leaders. Christians treat all people with respect. We give them the honor they deserve. And we try to help whenever possible. We, they know that we are people they can call on. We are people who, in whose presence they feel important and respected and loved. And, and that opens many doors for the gospel. Uh, there is a lot of animosity uh, to Christians today uh, in many countries. And, um, and you know, certainly in, in, in England, you know, people are angry even if they open their Bibles in their office. There's a case going on right now where a person who used to read the Bible at lunchtime was told not to do this because it's an intimidation to others. So, so this is the situation we are faced with. They, they, uh, and they don't see us as friendly. We have to show them that we are different to, what, to their caricatures of who we are. I was teaching a class on leadership uh, to, to young pastors who have gone in and started ministries in, uh, in, uh, in unreached areas. Most of them were, were such pastors. And um, I talked about uh, good neighborliness. Christians must be known to be good neighbors. And uh, one of them said, you know, many of our people, after they become Christians, they become worse neighbors. Because for one thing, the neighbors are angry with them for becoming Christians. And so they find refuge in the church. And they spend all their time in the fellowship of the church, the warmth of the fellowship of the church. And they lose interest in their neighborhood. And this was very sad to hear. Uh, and of course, now the pastors have realized that these are mistakes and they're trying to change this thing from happening. For example, in our country, uh, the monk, the Buddhist monk, is like the mayor of the town. And if that is the case, we need to give them the respect that is due to a mayor and be their friend and be good to them. I, I remember I was traveling once uh, in, in Sri Lanka. We are supposed to uh, give respect to the monks. For example, if, there are, if I'm seated on a, uh, in a bus and a monk walks in and I have to stand up and give him my seat. That is the rule. I mean, that's the unwritten rule in our country. And I was in the New Delhi airport with a young monk uh, who was traveling to Europe for the first time. And he was very young. And we had five hours together. And in, in keeping with my culture, I am the one who served him. I brought him his uh, coffee. I brought him something to eat. Uh, because that is what our culture says you do to monks. And, and, as he, and as part of this culture, I knew that this is the way I must behave in front of this young monk who was about 20 years old. You know? So, so, um, so, um, so the, uh, this is, uh, Paul seems to have done that. And uh, he had developed friendship with the leader, uh, with the leader of, this, uh, of, of the group. And then uh, we are told that uh, in verses 4 to 6 that they joined the ship. And, uh, and then in verses 8 and 9, they have got into a little trouble. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens near the town of Lasia. Uh, and we had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And uh, the Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Now, what he says is, look at verse 10. Men, he said, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. What Paul was giving was worldly wisdom. Worldly in the good sense, you know. He was giving worldly wisdom. He was a traveler himself. So he knew, uh, he, he could sense that this is not a safe journey to take. And, um, and so he knew it was best not to go, and he gave advice that was good, worldly advice. Worldly, again, in the good sense, right? Um, and this is very important. We need to be aware of what's happening in the world and, and so that we can respond wisely to those situations. Uh, West, John Wesley was once uh, traveling with one of his um, young preachers. His name was Sammy. And uh, they came across two women who were fighting. And that, that's quite interesting, you know, uh, when, when these two, two women were using 
strong words, language, and fighting with each other. And the young preacher, Sammy, uh, thought he'll move away and get away from this situation. And John Wesley told him, stay, Sammy, stay, and learn to preach. As we look, as we observe, as we get to know the world, we learn how to respond to the world. So reading the newspapers or watching television or getting near people, uh, listening to those who know about these things. I, I always have, I, I work for a youth organization, so my radio is always tuned to the, uh, to the stations that the young people listen to because I want to know what are they hearing, what are the lyrics like. Um, and so we need to know what the world is. You know, there are some people who are so spiritual, but they don't know the world. And Christian wisdom is applying biblical truth to, to includes applying biblical truth to secular situations in ways that, uh, that people will understand and will be helpful to everyone concerned. You know, very often the picture of a religious person in the media is either he's a crook, you know, a, 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 a fraud, or he's the person, you know, with his, uh, you know, head to, to, uh, to the skies, doesn't know much of what's happening in the world. He's, he's good to have a, to give people a prayer, you know, and he's walking like this, uh, and, and everyone knows, oh, there's the father coming, you know. That's the, that's the impression that the media sometimes, not always, thankfully, sometimes likes to portray about Christian, about holy people. We must show that holiness is earthy that holy people know what is happening in the world. Of course, uh, we, uh, sometimes we give good advice and it's not accepted, and that's what happens here. Verse 11, um, in, uh, it says, But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. So, um, so they, they didn't accept. It was not taken, um, and... Uh, and so we, are, we come to verse 12 where, Paul, where it says, and since Fairhavens was an exposed, they had come to a place called Fairhavens, and it was exposed, it had, a, it had an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter. Most of the crew wanted to go to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor uh, with only a southwest and northwest exposure. So they wanted to go to Phoenix. Now, Paul had already told them, don't go. But they didn't listen to him. And then, of course, what happened was uh, they, they encountered gale force winds. Look at verse 18. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began to throwing uh, cargo overboard. Uh, the following day, uh, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun until at last all hope was gone. Now, uh, then we are told, no one has eaten for a long time, verse 21. And all hope was gone, no one has eaten for a long time. Then we are told, finally Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You, you would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God, whom I belong to and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. Be an agent of hope. Lot of people have given up on our nation, on their nation, on society, and they think the situation is beyond redemption. But we look through the eyes of hope. Our glasses are tinted with hope. And Christians are people with hope. And because God has spoken to us and God has told that he is the sovereign Lord who rules the universe. Therefore, we can look at life with hope. Um, you know, during the war, uh, our centers would be open, and very often, that's the only thing that's open. All our centers have uh, uh, playgrounds, a little, little place where people can play cricket or volleyball or badminton or some game like that. And, um, 
and right through the war our centers were open so everything else is closed everybody is discouraged but young people knew they could come to the youth for christ center and play games you know it was a it uh, the, the the dream was that we will be agents of hope that people won't give up on the nation at a time like this i still remember uh, a mother uh, i had gone to the north and we had a program for parents. We often have programs for parents because a lot of our parents are non-Christians and they need to know what we are doing. So we have, a lot, we have to meet the parents the moment a non-Christian comes and meets us. So we had this program and there was this mother whose younger son had come to Youth for Christ. The elder son had joined the Tamil Tigers. He was a terrorist. And she said, if you only had come a few months earlier, I wouldn't have lost my son. Uh, she was a Hindu lady, but she knew that these people offered an alternative to the hopelessness which drove people to resort to terrorism. Uh, and so we can do this uh, in different ways to give hope to people. Uh, there, there was a, a, a guy who came to Christ in our, in our church, and um, he had been an alcoholic, and his, his job was... Uh, carrying fertilizer sacks. He was, a, he was a laborer, and he used to drink, and that's the way he was able to do the work that he did. And then he came to Christ. He didn't have an identity card. In Sri Lanka, without an identity card, it's almost impossible to get anything done. Because that's, you know, in, a, in the war situation, everybody's asking for your ID. And, um, and he didn't want to apply, because he had to write and, and you know, fill forms and do that. And for months, we told him, you've got to get your ID card. You've got to get your ID card. Finally, he wilted, got the forms, and we pushed him, and he got his identity card. Now, he's having a good job, a relatively good job, considering what he was, and two of his children are in the ministry. You know, uh, just giving people hope, uh, because a lot of people have given up. They, they've grown up in environments that don't give them any hope and, and, and tell them you're useless. But we go and give hope. We have a ministry of teaching. In, in other words, in the poorer schools, there aren't enough teachers. And everybody has to be taught their religion, and almost all these poor schools don't have Christianity teachers. So we provide Christianity teachers to these schools. And, um, and of course, what happens is that when... Um, when uh, uh, they go to the school, they find there's no English teacher, there's no maths teacher, there's, you know, so they end up teaching a lot of courses. And some of these people, by doing this, feel that God has called them to be teachers. And we had a girl who, 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 was a, who worked for us for two years and then went as a teacher. And she began to work very hard. And this was in the estate sector. Uh, people who are working in estates, uh, that's the most depressed class in our nation. They are alcoholics. They just have no, uh, no motivation. And she was working really hard. And the principal told her, why are you working so hard? You know, these people are not going to make it. You just, you just take, your, take it easy. Don't work so hard. But she was a Christian. And she worked hard. And the principal made her unofficial vice principal of the school. 23 years old, you know. Because he knew this is a girl who's committed, giving hope to people who are hopeless. So twice in this passage, Paul says, don't, uh, uh, sorry, he says, take courage. You can do it, and this is how you're going to do it. Giving hope to people when things are bleak. Uh, John Wesley was traveling back, a discouraged man, after a mission in in America, in, uh, yeah, in America, and as he was coming back, they were caught in a storm. And there were these Moravians who were singing. And uh, they were singing. And uh, simple people, uneducated, but they were singing. They seemed to have the joy in the law of the Lord, where, while John Wesley was afraid of his life. He was so scared. And after this uh, thing, he, he asked the Moravian leader, uh, why, were you not afraid? And he said, I thank God, no. Were not your women and children afraid? And uh, he, he, he said, no. Our women and children are not afraid to die. 
And this had such a huge impact on him that one thing led to another and the Moravians had a big part to play in his conversion later on. So we must stay close to the Lord and develop the habit of applying the, the principle of hope in our daily life. I remember the time in 1989 when our country was going through its darkest hour. Uh, this was a revolution that we had in the north. I, I'm sorry. The people in the south were going through their darkest hour. The north and the east have had dark hours for many years. But then we had a revolution. And during this revolution, in this one year, no one, it never made the international press because it was Sinhalese people fighting Sinhalese people. In one year, about 50,000 people must have died. There was never a time that there, were there was not a body floating on the river at the edge of our town. And I was a youth worker. Most of these people were young people. And I, um, and you know, people said, um, you know, a lot of people were leaving because schools were closed for six, seven months at a time. And they were leaving the country. And, um, and my wife and I had decided we have been called to Sri Lanka. We are not leaving. But our children hadn't been you know, they, they felt finally, they also felt called to the ministry. But at that time, we, they had no call to, to ministry. It was our call. So we had to make it worthwhile for the children, for, for us to stay in Sri Lanka in the midst of this. So my wife and I were discussing, and we decided that the best thing that we can do for our children is to give them a happy home. Whatever is happening outside, if they come home and know this is a happy place, then it will be good. The only problem was that my moods were not helping at all. I would be so discouraged. It was like a national gloom had fallen on me. One day, when I was down in the dumps, my uh, wife told the children so that, uh, so that the father will hear. Our wives do that sometimes, you know? <laughs> uh, father is in a bad mood. Let's hope he goes and reads his Bible, you know? And she had found a really good theological truth. When we are down, we go to the scriptures and see an eternal world and realize that we are part of that eternal world. And so because even though everything around us may be crumbling, we know that we are people infused with hope because God still is in control of the world. Now, uh, the next principle, number four, is enduring trials with the people. For 14 days, Paul had to be with these other people without miraculous deliverance from God. They were all literally in the same boat. You know, the Christians, the non-Christians, they all suffered together. You know, Christians have no assurance of a life without problems. But our response to problems can speak volumes to people. Because when we are having problems, they see the real you. They, they see who we really are. As someone said, you're, you're, you're fill, filled with what you pour out when you're tilted. You know, you pour out a, a bitter person and bitterness will come out. Uh, and so people see us, and what they see, they will like. Now, they may not see us all the time singing and praying and shouting hallelujah. They may see us crying. But there is something about Christian sorrow that has a silver lining to it that makes it special. You know, the, the happiest people in the world are not those who don't have problems. It's those who are not afraid of problems. That is what the world needs. There was a girl in university who was doing really badly, a Christian girl. She was not doing well. She was so discouraged. She, the, she found the studies very hard, whereas her roommate was a brilliant student, and she was, she was just sailing through her courses. At the end of the year, they went home for the long holiday and came back. And this Christian, the, the, the roommate said, oh, I, I, you ha I have become a Christian, and you have helped me. It was your, your witness that helped me to become a Christian. And she said, my witness? Uh, the whole year I was discouraged. And I was having problems. And she said, I observed the way you suffered. And she realized there was something there that they needed. So, sometimes God calls us to endure the trials 
with other people also endure so that we can be one with them and we can show that having Jesus is wonderful. You know, um, we have, a, we have a, a, a film that has just come out in our language and it says, uh, and the advertisement for the film was a, a, a girl uh, who's in politics. She's an actress, but now she's in politics. And she says, um, I like to be an MP. I like to be a minister. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I like to be an MP, but I like to be a minister. She's thrilled to be a minister. And I turned that around. And I told, um, uh, I was telling uh, some people uh, preaching, and I said, I like for things to happen that I, the way I want them to. But I like Jesus. Things may not happen the way we want to, but Jesus is always wonderful. And so when we go through life with Jesus, they see a difference. And so, uh, so, so uh, he endured trials with them, and then he had an opportunity to slip inappropriate testimony where it was uh, possible. He says, last night, verse 23, last night an angel of the law of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. He, he just brought in, these people don't know who this God is, so he says, the, the God whom I belong, to whom I belong, uh, whom I serve. And he brought in something that was appropriate for the time, a wise way to introduce his belief in God. Daniel did this with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, can you interpret, tell me what the dream was and interpret it? And, um, and he said, no human being can, but there is a God in heaven. He was able to bring in God. He didn't immediately say, you know, yes, yes, I can, and go on with the elastic. No, he, he used the opportunity to slip in a word about God. So we need to look for the right time and say the right thing as testimony to God. This is getting very complex in today's world. There are some people who misuse these opportunities. Uh, some, my brother, who's a pastor, was in a discussion once uh, on TV, on national TV, and there were some other Christians who had, uh, you know, they, they had come to Christ uh, from drug addiction, and they, they were discussing some issue but these people, you know, they were all excited for Christ and all of that. They just began to give their testimony, which really wasn't the answer to the question that was asked. And by doing that, they forfeited their right to be invited again. And, and so we have to be very wise in the way we respond. But we are always looking for those uh, to, to, to share this gospel. Some people, sadly, don't use these opportunities at all when they get such opportunities. Yesterday I talked about William Wilberforce, how he was looking for launches, looking for situations where he can slip in a word of, of, of strength. Then, uh, number, uh, number six, God will encourage us when we need strength. Uh, verse 22 says, take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God whom I belong to and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. You know, God knows how much we can handle. And in the midst of the biggest hardship, he, he just comes and gives us something, little thing, to just help us take the next step and the next and the next. Sometimes it continues to be dark. But we have strength to take the next step. Now, Paul had this three times, this kind of intervention by God. Three times. First, when he was in Corinth. You know, he had, uh, he had gone to, he had heard this Macedonian cry, come to Europe and help us. And he goes to one place, he gets assaulted. He goes to another place and he's chased off. He goes to Athens and he gets an indifferent response. Now he comes to Corinth. And in his letter he says, I came with fear and trembling. Uh, because he's had so much negative responses. And he has a good response for a time. And then Corinth also, they ask him to leave the synagogue. That night, he has a vision of Christ. And Christ tells him, I have people in this city. 
Then, after a long break, he's going back to Jerusalem with gifts for the church and all of that. How will they respond? And when he, when he gets there, um, they arrest him. You can just imagine the sorrow. You know, he's been arrested. And that night, God spoke to him and ministered to him. So, God will encourage us when we need the strength. Um, we, we had a staff worker in a very dangerous place. And uh, the, the, the bombing got so bad that they had to leave their home and go to a refugee center. And uh, he had two children, and uh, one of them was very small. And, and then one night, the bombing came right to the center, just next to the center. And the house next to the center was bombed. It was the house of a, uh, of a Christian lawyer. That evening, when the family met for prayer uh, with, with the neighbors, with the others in the classroom, they were in a classroom, in a, in a school, uh, uh, my, my colleague, who's a Youth for Christ worker, asked the group, do you all have any prayer requests? And the mother said, uh, I would like an egg for my son. And our worker was a bit embarrassed. How can we ask for eggs when nobody has eggs, you know? But it was asked in public, so uh, he, she pre he presented that prayer to God. The bombing took place that night, and it hit the home of a Christian lawyer. It actually hit his chicken coop, you know. And, um, and what happened was that all the fowls ran away or died. The only thing that was left was an egg. And the wife said, we can't keep this for ourselves. There is that Youth for Christ leader next door, worker next door, with a little child. Why don't I go and give it to the mother? And in the morning, this lady, in the night they had prayed, give us an egg. The morning, by special delivery, comes an egg for this child. God knows how much we can handle. And in the time of deepest discouragement, he will give us just enough strength to go on. Then, uh, verses, uh, we come to verse 30 to 33. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. Now they are going through this terrible storm, and they tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay on board. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. You see, he warned people of dangers that they face. He was not so naive into believing all the good intentions that people talk about, that they proclaim they have. We must spot what is bad and expose it at the right time. Now, this is a difficult thing, but Christians are called to do this. When we see danger, we must warn people. Uh, and very often, this is uh, speaking up on behalf of justice. When there is injustice, when we see the danger, uh, we, we, we need to speak. Sadly, we evangelicals don't have a very good record of speaking up for injust against injustice. I think the Catholics, maybe, and the liberal people, the Protestants, they are better at this. But this is also part of God's call. When we see something bad happening in society, we must speak against it. And um, the first, of course, the people will be mad at first, but it's a sure, uh, and it's a sure way to get enemies when you speak up for justice, but later they will be thankful. Joseph did this with Pharaoh when he saw the, the interpretation of those dreams. Uh, when we see one group exploited uh, because of injustice, uh, we need to speak up and highlight and show people that this is what is happening. Now, different people may be called to do this, um, and maybe it's not the pastor who's going to do it, but, but the church together, somebody, somewhere, needs to speak up uh, on behalf of justice. In Sri Lanka, in the north, uh, the, the Tamil Tigers, they ch uh, chased all the Muslims out from the north. Uh, they wanted to sort of have it as a purely Tamil area. And at that time, this was a great injustice done to the Muslim people. And the church didn't rise up and speak about it. And we felt we made a huge mistake because there was injustice to our fellow Sri Lankans, and we hadn't spoken about it. So, 
sometimes we have to do that. Then, uh, we, we are sometimes called to give advice on personal life. Um, uh, verse 33. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something for uh, now for your own good, for not a hair of your head will, be, will perish. And, uh, and so he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Wise advice on personal life. People are looking, you know, people are bewildered, not, not knowing how to face the challenges of life. And we follow the creator of life. So the creator's answers surely should be the best answers in the world. And so when it comes to drugs, when it comes to family life, when it comes to education, when it comes to sex, we can give people good advice that will help them. As to face uh, their life. As William Barclay says, Paul knew that hungry people are not efficient people. So he got them to eat, to face the crisis that they were having. Uh, I was once speaking in a northern town, the border town actually between the north and the south. And I, it was in an Anglican church, and next to the church was, a, uh, was an army camp. And I was speaking on the married life of the pastor. And actually, I was specifically speaking on sex, a pastor and sex, you know. And there was a person who walked in. It was a seminar that I was doing. He walked in, and I noticed that he was taking copious notes down. Uh, so at the end of the thing, he came up to me, and he said, I'd like to speak to you. Actually, it was the commander of that army, uh, the, 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 the camp, the army camp. That was the com it was the commander. He was a devout Buddhist, and he told me about what I had been talking about sex, and he told, him, told me how he's finding such a struggle to keep his, to rein in his soldiers, and, and you know, about how important this material is, and then he called his wife in Colombo and got me to talk to his wife, and then he told me, you must come and teach our Buddhist youth what you have been telling these people. We need to hear that. God's wisdom is people would realize sooner or later that this is the best thing. And so um, we can give people wisdom. We need practical people who know how to solve issues and, 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 and act in that time. Uh, George Verver, I think some of you must know him. He was the founder of Operation Mobilization. And in 1971, I think, the ship, uh, their first ship, Logos, came to Sri Lanka. And at one time, something happened, and it became very unruly. There was a whole crowd of people who were coming, I think just as the gates were opened. And, and people didn't know what to do. George Verver went in front of the people, and he did this, and he said, ah! You know? <laughs> he just shouted, screamed, and everyone stopped and kept quiet, and they were able to calm the crowd. You know, just the wisdom that was needed for the moment. And of course, that kind of wisdom comes only from people like George Verver, right? Uh, but uh, uh, so, so, uh, so wisdom on personal life. Then pray when an opportunity arises. And that's what he did. He gave thanks to God before them and broke off a piece and ate it. And so he prayed. Uh, this is our practice before eating. You know, you can tell people, this is, you know, there are non-Christians with you. This is our practice before eating. Please, do you mind if we say a prayer? You know, and, and just they, they, they see uh, if, it is, if the request is politely asked, invariably it will be politely accepted. You know, they see that our God, that, 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 they, that this is the way these people relate to their God, these Christians. You know, and... Um, um, and, and I have never had uh, situations where people have refused when I have wanted to pray, among non-Christians. So, uh, and then verses 42 and 43, again you see the, how cultivating friendships helps. Um, uh, the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure that they, uh, they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he did not carry out their plan. 
he had been the friend and because of the friendship they were saved you know from the situation so paul was a unjustly treated prisoner but he was friendly and through the friendship he was able to do things um, I, I think I spoke one day about how my colleague was arrested and spent 15 months in prison. And, um, and uh, then he came out, he had, uh, he had stomach problems because he had been assaulted so badly. And so he was in a hospital just after his marriage. And one of my colleagues called me and said, this prison welfare officer is spending the whole time with him and he's unable to spend time with his wife because the welfare officer has come. So I went to see him, and when I came, the welfare officer was there, but he had gone for a cup of tea. So I asked him, what, what's the scene about this? And he said, no, you know, this guy became my friend, uh, and I became like his pastor. He used to talk about his family life, and I used to pray for him. I used to give him advice. Now, here is the unjustly put-in-prison person and uh, from the Tamil race and a welfare officer from the Sinhalese race. Uh, and he began to minister to the welfare officer. You know, the, um, th this is the Christian way. When people are bad to us, we try to be good to them. There's a lovely book that is on sale there called Bound to be Free. Uh, I read through it one year, and it's a beautiful book. Uh, but in that book, uh, there is a story of somebody who was captured, uh, and the government captor, a Christian, was captured, and he said, what can your God do for you now? And this man replied, he can give me the strength to forgive you. As we approach hostile situations with the love of God, people, it will have an effect. Then uh, he adopts a servant lifestyle. Um, and this is um, where he took the, 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 uh, the sticks. You know, they, they, they had to make a fire. And he took the sticks um, and as Barclay says again, it is only a little man who refuses a little task. Oh, Paul, Paul could have refused to pick up those sticks and take them, but he did that. And, um, and this, I believe, is the key apologetic in this age of pluralism. They say we are uh, arrogant because we say Christ is the only way. But when they look at our life, they will realize these people have strange beliefs, but they are nice people. You know, they are people who are loving and caring and working. Servanthood is the most important, I believe, aspect of our apologetics in this time when we are under, under attack. There's a, uh, Johns Hopkins University has started a project called the Civility Project. Civility is when people are kind to each other when they go out and show consideration to each other. The world is realizing that unless we restore civility, our, our societies are going to get into a mess. Christians should be in the forefront of this. Then, um, of course, he's bitten by a snake, and, uh, and then uh, nothing happens to him, and that becomes a testimony. So God's protection can be a testimony, um, and... Um, and then uh, he prayed, uh, came and found that the, uh, the chief official of that area, his father was sick, so he prayed for him. So, uh, you know, I don't have time, so I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, just mentioning those. Let me just have the last point here. Paul, uh, for, for, for going into the world, we need encouragement from other Christians. And that is very important. This is a we passage. We are told that there was this person uh, from some place with them, Aristarchus, a Macedonian, and Luke, we passage means Luke is also traveling with him. So he was not alone. And then we are told in verses 14 and 15, uh, there, was, uh, there we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them, so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming, and they came to meet us at the forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us at three taverns. And when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. You see, going into the world is tough. It's difficult. People don't understand. You're, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be ridiculed. You need friends. 
William Wilberforce had his group of people, the, the Clapham sect, people who stood by him. Daniel had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the moment he had a problem, he went and told them about it. And if we are going to go into the world, we need to have friends who are accountable to us and who help us. Friends help keep us in line with our ethics and our priorities because it's so easy to bend our rules when we are in a difficult situation. But having to, uh, to be accountable to friends, that helps. Friends help us persevere when our call, uh, in, in our call when we are discouraged uh, because it's a difficult call to go into the world. But the friends help encourage us. Um, I, I wanted to join the ministry when I was about 14 years old. I told my parents when I was about 16 that I want to be a minister. And my parents said, first go to university. Uh, and, uh, and it's very hard to get into university in Sri Lanka. And uh, I found it extremely difficult. Uh, and one third of our grade went for practicals, which means you have to cut these things and you know, uh, you know botany and zoology and chemistry. Those are the subjects I did. And, and I really struggled because I was terrible with my hands. So I struggled and struggled. And often, I would want to give up. But I, f I studied with another Christian friend. So when I want to give up, he scolds me. And when he wants to give up, I scold him. And scolding each other, we managed to, get, uh, to do this exam. And I scraped into the university. I didn't get into one of the better schools. I scraped in. But by God's grace, I got in. So friends help us when we are, uh, uh, persevere in our call when we are discouraged. Also, friends help heal our wounds. When people hurt us, we can become bitter people. But when we know that somebody understands, it can take away the bitterness that is inside of us. So it's very important. Sometimes we get over discouraged when because we have failed in this particular field, we may think we are failures. Our friends knock some sense into us and say, you just failed there. You are not a failure as a person. You know, so our, our friends help us heal, heal our wounds. Friends help us take courageous steps. When we are scared to do something, they stand behind us, praying for us, helping us along. Uh, William Wilberforce had this group that would send, um, send all these telegrams uh, before a parliament uh, met to discuss some issue. They would do the homework for him. They would pray for him. Uh, and they send the telegrams asking people to pray. They stood behind him and helped him to take those steps. And then friends give us wisdom, especially when we are attacked. Sometimes, you know, you get a, you are scolded by somebody and your first res response is to write your letter of resignation, you know. But before you give it, you go and share with your friends and they say, don't be a fool. You know, uh, they help us uh, when, 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 when we are attacked. They give us freedom. So um, let me urge you to have some friends as you go into the world. Well, that's my challenge, my final challenge to you. Um, the world needs Christians who go into society and bear witness for Christ. And I pray that you will be such witnesses in your neighborhoods, with your friends, in your workplace, in your school, in the playground, wherever. And um, I think I'd like to pray for Ireland uh, to, close, uh, to close this time. I, I will have to go in a short time. I'm going straight to the airport, so you'll have to excuse me. I'll be leaving uh, fairly soon. But let's, let's pray for Ireland. Lord, we thank you for this country, the Emerald Island, endowed with so many beautiful natural resources, proud of an immense, immensely influential history in the cause of the kingdom of God. We thank you, Lord, for the many people who through the years have sent, have gone and encouraged and reached the lost proclaimed your gospel, help raise leaders. I thank you for the missionary who came to Sri Lanka and did that in my life. And Lord, we pray that you will do it again. You haven't changed. It's only we who change. 
And our, our commitment changes. Our desire to make a difference can be dimmed by the discouragement that we face. I want to pray, Lord, that you will give boldness to the church in Ireland. Boldness to see the place that you have given them, the part that you have given them to play in the progress of the kingdom. Oh God, we pray that the great knowledge that has been passed down through centuries and that has been relatively faithfully kept from generation to generation, that this knowledge would be ignited by the power of your Holy Spirit so that it will be knowledge on fire with people willing to do whatever it takes to be the witnesses you want them to be. Bless this nation, O Lord. We pray for the South, even as it goes through a difficult financial crisis. O God, we pray that this will help them to look to the one who is more secure than the treasures of this world. And as they do that, may there be a revival, even as they look to things that matter most in life. Oh God, we pray for these people who are gathered here. We pray that they will be part of that East that goes in to the leaven and leavens the whole lump. Use them, Father, in, their, in your own special way. Bless this nation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.